So this isn't an actual episode out of time, but it's real close. This episode should be released just before the iPhone event. So by the time most people have listened to this, but we're doing it now a little earlier than we would normally because uh, I'm going to be traveling and I got a lot going on in September. So uh, we're trying to get this done just before. I don't understand how this makes it an episode out of time at all. It doesn't. Yeah, okay. It's close. Is it? Is I don't it know. Close? I don't agree. I, I feel like this is more like, oh, there's just a bunch of stuff that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that's not an episode out of time. That's not even episode out of time adjacent. You're always talking about things that are going to happen in the future. That doesn't make that an episode out of time. I always feel like episodes out of time are made more out of timey based on how dated they are due to something we would normally talk about. That's kind of how I imagine it. So like... If we were releasing this episode a week later, it would be an episode out of time. Because so much would have changed at that point. Things we'd normally talk about, like new iPhones, new Apple Watches, whatever, that I think it would qualify. Wait, I feel, I feel like like I'm, I'm in crazy town here. Like, don't episodes out of time, we normally try to pick something that isn't time sensitive? That's why it can be an episode out of no, time. Is like, oh, no, we're no, going to no. record this thing and then we'll release it two months from now. But then we would never reference that it was an episode of time we referenced that there are episodes out of time because of the fact that it's obvious that time would have passed because there's something that we would have otherwise spoken about or are worried that something could have happened that would date the episode in a way that was weird so mm. we say this is an episode out of time i don't know that's why we do it <laughs> oh okay i feel like i've fallen through some kind of time vortex and yeah. i have no idea how how this works anymore because like if we did a book right and just okay. did a whole episode about a book we could record and release that whenever, and that wouldn't be an episode out of time because it's just about the book. But if we're doing an otherwise normal episode where we just talk about topics, you know, things mm-hmm. that we want to discuss, if we're, there's like a long time between recording and releasing, then it becomes an episode out of time because if we leave it for like four weeks, five weeks, which we do sometimes, anything could happen that would otherwise date the show. And typically this happens around, I think the last couple, if my memory serves, has been because there's going to be some kind of Apple event or whatever that we would otherwise talk about, but we can't talk about it because it hasn't happened yet. Okay. I feel like the only thing that is making this, even remotely, an episode out of time or episode out of time adjacent Mm -hmm. is this conversation right now. September is a huge time Mm -hmm. for a bunch of reasons. It's busy time, work-wise. So we got new iPhones coming iOS comes out, all that kind of stuff. It's a busy time. But around these parts, it's especially busy because we turn our attention to raising money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. For the fourth consecutive year, the Relay FM community is rallying together again to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, which is very simple. Finding cures, saving children. This year, St. Jude is actually celebrating its 60th anniversary. Since opening its doors in 1962, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital has grown in size and capabilities for one special reason. They believe that children all over the world deserve the same chance at survival. Treatments developed at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital have helped increase the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80% in the 60 years that it's been around. While these tremendous strides have been made, one in five children diagnosed in the U.S. will not survive. And globally, the numbers are shockingly reversed, with four in five children in some developing countries not surviving of childhood cancer. 
limited access to high-quality, affordable medicines, and the financial burden of research and care are hallmarks of the childhood cancer challenge that many developing countries face. And this is how it is across the globe. And this is the kind of stuff that St. Jude is changing. St. Jude is a hospital in Memphis. Mm-hmm. It has a very important link to us here at Relay FM. You know, if you if you're not aware and you wonder why do they raise money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital every year, my co-founder Stephen Hackett lives in Memphis. Was lucky to live in Memphis as his eldest son was diagnosed with a brain tumor um, when he was very very young, and St. Jude took him as a patient, saved his life, um, and he is now a incredible young man uh, who I love dearly and wouldn't have been around without St. Jude's help. So that is our personal connection to this place. But the more time we have spent and learned about St. Jude, the more time I have had to interact with doctors and patients and families, just show how special a place this is. It is a very unique institution in America because of the way that they work in that families do not pay for the treatment. And St. Jude also provides food and housing for patient families so they can focus on the health of their child. But St. Jude is also a research institution, and they share what they learn with the world. For example, recently in 2021, they did some medical trials that saw a 20-point improvement in survival rates for high-risk neuroblastoma, which is the second most common solid tumor in children. They produced this antibody at the campus in St. Jude and have then since shared this knowledge with the world. So we turn our attention to raising money for St. Jude for a bunch of reasons, primarily because they want to save the lives of children everywhere. Childhood Cancer Awareness Month is an opportunity for us to come together in the fight against childhood cancer because together we can make a big impact. And this year, you're able to support the Relay FM for St. Jude campaign in multiple ways. So as always, we invite you to make a donation. Donors who make an individual gift of $60 or more will receive a digital bundle, including a wallpaper and a macOS screensaver pack, which is just for people that donate. If you donate $100 or more, you get this, plus some special stickers that we're just giving to people as a thank you for donating. If your employer offers a matching gift program, so if you donate, check with your employer if they do matching gifts. If they do, there's a form at stjude.org slash relay that can be credited to our campaign. If you work for a big company, it's very likely that they do charity matching. Ask. And new this year, if you want to get more hands-on, you can now start your own fundraising campaign to help us reach our goals while also earning exclusive Relay FM merchandise. If you sign up to fundraise and you raise $1 or more, you'll get an exclusive St. Jude limited edition of a Relay FM challenge coin. If you raise $250 or more, you will get a very weird and unique desk mat which features the cartoon heads of me and Steven. <laughs> it's very strange, but it's great. If You may have seen last year that I covered my desk in stickers of Steven's face. We are now allowing you to do that on a temporary basis because you will, unlike me, you will be able to remove the desk mat <laughs> and put it back whenever you want. 
it is like something out of a nightmare, but yeah. it's also kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen my office, right? You've seen that yeah. desk. Uh, this year, I'm doing the big one. Oh, big you're desk. doing the big one. Okay, yeah. so that one's going to get completely covered. <laughs> More Steven stickers. So basically, we do this. It's like for every couple of hundred dollars raised, we each put a sticker on some piece of furniture in our offices. Mm-hmm. So my recording desk is completely covered, and now it's going to be spreading to another. But if you want to do it, sign up to be a fundraiser. Raise $250 or more and you'll get a desk mat so you can take it off when you don't want it. Now, the fundraising thing is really cool. What it does is it enables you to be able to extend this message yourself to your friends, your family, your coworkers, and help us raise more money. This is money that our campaign would never see otherwise because maybe these people don't listen to our shows. And also, if you don't have the money to donate yourself, this is also a way to get involved. So you're able to say, go to family, friends, and say, here's this thing. It's an amazing institution. Would you like to donate some money? Go to stjude.org slash relay. You can donate and find out more about fundraising. So that's what's going on there. I want to talk about the podcast-a-thon. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be the fourth podcast-a-thon, which is an eight-hour event that we do. It's a variety show, features many Relay FM hosts, special guests. Me and Stephen host it together. This year, it's going to be on September 16th from 12 to 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Now, the plan is we'll be back in person. Wow, okay. So the first one we did in person, then we had to do two remote. So me here in Mega Studio, Stephen at St. Jude. We really wanted to do do it last year, but we just couldn't make it work. It was very unfortunate with like travel restrictions because the travel restrictions ended in like October, so it, we kind of just missed out on it. Yeah, it, it was a heartbreakingly close mm. call last year. I I, I remember that. That yeah, was, it was awful. It was rough. It was rough. But this year, that the plan is that I'll be back in Memphis, and we're going to do it live together. I'm terrified <laughs> <laughs> because of my last big trip to America. Uh huh. So I have like real kind of COVID anxiety right now. We have tried to plan for all of the potential contingencies, but really we're planning for one thing, which is doing it in person. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, we'll just fall back. But it's kind of like there's no point, I think, going deep on all the contingency plans because there are so many variables for like, what if I get COVID or what if Steven gets COVID or what if somebody in our family's had layover in Austin, you're going to record from there. You never know. (laughs) We are doing layover Chicago, the way there, Dallas, the way back another 90 minute layover on the way back. So I think we'll be spending our third night in Dallas. Uh Okay. Right. I just, I see no other uh, potential here. We will be in Dallas for the third time this year. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it right now. I'll report back on this later, but I am convinced that we will be in Dallas again. (laughs) It's just, I see no other way. But it's kind of one of those things where we had a conversation as a group because we work with a wonderful team of people at St. Jude who help us plan these events. And we're like, okay, well, we'll just see what happens. Because I think it's too complicated to try and specifically plan out every contingency. It's just like high level, this is what we'll do. But we're all just like headstrong on we're going to be together. We're going to bring in a bunch of our favorite elements of the past three events, Mm -hmm. especially the last two, because I've done things and Stephen's done things, but we've not been able to do those things together. So like last year, he had this big challenge wheel that he would spin and it would land on certain things and we'd have to do them. 
I've never got to spin the wheel. Uh-huh. And we're also, we're constructing a balloon room. A uh, balloon room. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, there better the be a balloon room. <laughs> so that I'm actually really excited. It's, it's going to be leveled up in a, in a fun way. Ooh. So I will still have my balloon room, but Stephen will be able to experience the balloon room, which I think he's actually very scared of. I think he oh, doesn't yeah? like the idea of the being like surrounded by balloons. It always would freak him out when I would dive in them. Huh. So we'll see what that will That's be interesting. like. So it's kind of going to be like a greatest hits mm-hmm. of the last four years, which I'm very excited about. It actually also might be the day that iPhones come out, which is <laughs> its own little thing. Yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely insane how much work the two of you put into this podcast-a-thon every year. And yeah, g- getting there in person to do it together this year. Like, I'm I'm so glad that that's going to work out. Like, again, it was just it was so heartbreaking last time that that you had to do it remotely. So I'm very happy about that. I'll be curious to see Stephen's apparent fear of balloons explored, yep. and that can always be a nice motivator for people to donate. This man is afraid of balloons donate and we had a balloon right like that's just classic oh it's like how i always have to eat those disgusting jelly beans (laughs) give more money and mike eats the like jelly beans that are flavored like dishwater and rotten eggs yeah it's like great i'll just i'll I'll keep eating if there's a one fundraising crowd pleaser it's making someone uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in some way that goes along with it right people people just love it for the for the fundraisers (laughs) i hate the thought of it but at the same time it donates money for childhood cancer so i'm like all right i'll do it then i suppose you know like <laughs> i'll yeah. suffer this yeah people like people suffering for a cause mm-hmm. so that that's that's what that is yeah they've got so much happening in september we're doing a bunch of extra streams for the first time this year we're going to be doing a campaign closing stream at the end of september where we announce the final total and all that kind of stuff we've got a bunch of milestone streams that we're unlocking with different relay fm hosts and we're playing video games and that kind of stuff all of this is over at stjude.org slash relay so please go and check it out. Go to stjude.org slash relay. You can learn more. You can donate. You can sign up to fundraise. And let's cure childhood cancer together. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business, growing your presence online. With Squarespace, you'll be able to stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience with beautiful design, and sell anything. Your products, services, and even the content that you create, Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you will be able to get blogging. They have powerful blogging tools so you can share your stories, your photos, your videos, your updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. You can then get stuck in with SEO tools. They have a suite of integrated features and useful guides that will help you maximize prominence among your search results. Then maybe as your blogging presence grows, you might want to start a store of your own. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. But this is just one potential path. Squarespace will let you build just about any type of website you want. Whether it is to publish something online for people to see, or maybe it's for something to share with people that are important to you. When I got married, we set up a website with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates, actually, just for wedding websites. And they come with all the structure that you're going to need, so it makes it really easy for you to be able to make sure your guests have everything that they're going to need. Squarespace really is amazing. I've used it for so many projects now. No matter what it is, they have all of the tools. So if you want to build a website, trust me, Squarespace is the first place to go. And you can go see it for yourself. If you go to squarespace.com slash cortex, you can sign up for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And you can go in and set up your entire website. You can choose from a beautiful template. You can customize it to how you want. You can even start putting your content in and everything all in their trial. 
You don't need to give them a credit card. But then, when you're ready to launch it to the world, you sign up and use the offer code Cortex. This will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. They have domain options too. At squarespace.com slash Cortex, and when you decide to sign up, use the offer code Cortex. You will get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Squarespace really is an all-in-one package for you to get what you want online. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Do you use Git now? Oh, no. <laughs> I made a terrible mistake. You've ruined our subreddit. <laughs> You've ruined it. I didn't ruin it. I just, I didn't know what I was asking. So, <laughs> Okay, so listeners who don't go to the subreddit. Uh-huh. Previously on Cortex, Gray was discussing his syncing problems with Obsidian, and Mike was bullying him in an entirely correct way. And so we had this big conversation about like how to have a workflow in my writing program that syncs between me and my assistant that can be used for making changes on PDFs and a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, the fundamental question is, hey, I would like a text document that synchronizes between me and my assistant. And there are reasons why it is difficult to do in my writing app of choice, Obsidian. And so on the subreddit, of course, very helpful people were proposing suggestions. And one of them was Git. And Git is one of these things of like, I've heard about Git. I, I've I've heard programmer friends talk about mm-hmm. this thing for you. You know, you like you push and you pull you check on in. the gits. There's some yeah. check-ins. There's like That's a important. tree and uh-huh. the tree merges. There's a hub. Uh, is there a hub? I don't know. I think there's forks and yep. pulls and and requests. Requests. Yeah. There's like stuff. I don't know. It's just one of these things. Like I, you're aware. You can't have programmer friends without being vaguely aware of like, oh, Git is a thing that programmers use, and it's a like, oh, programmers don't be angry. It's like a way to collaborate for programmers on yeah. source code. I guess. That's what it does, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, as far as I'm aware too. But Mike. On the internet, you never know, right? Oh, <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> who could be mad about that? I also am familiar, like Federico, our friend Federico, who writes wonderful iOS reviews every year. I know that he started using Git as a version control system and a way to share his reviews with proofreaders and stuff like that. I know that he started oh, doing okay, that interesting. multiple years ago. Hmm. It's like a backup system and like a checking in system like similarly mm-hmm. to how programmers use it of like this part's done do mm-hmm. you want to look at it and mm-hmm. it's you know it's got version control and history and all that kind of stuff so it ends up being a i think pretty decent tool that people use for collaboration of things other than coding just because of the way that it works mm. from like a fundamental level yeah it was one of those moments where someone suggested they said hey have you looked into git and I, I said, oh, I would like to know more. And boy, did I get more. Um, <laughs> like, and I want to be clear. People were very helpful. Yep. But it also became very clear, very fast. Like, okay, I think this is one of those tools where if you are a programmer who is already familiar with this, it is a great tool that is totally useful in a lot of circumstances. But if you're not already familiar with this, this is like oh God, here's another layer of thing that Mm. can go wrong. And if I'm just using it in this one scenario, it just, it struck me as dangerous overkill for the current situation. It seems like a big learning curve 
Yeah. I think. Like if you're coming in cold, we use GitHub for the management of our software development projects at mm-hmm. Relay FM. Like we run our own systems, we maintain our own publishing systems and ad platform system and all that kind of stuff. So I have to use GitHub every now and then, right? Which uses Git, but it's its own tool, right? It's Git fundamentally, but then it has its own stuff on top. And like I can see how good it is, but oh boy, does it confuse me when I'm in there. You oh, know? so so you're actually you're actually hands on pushing and pulling and I don't do the pushing and, and the pulling and the forking and the and okay. well, I I use issues, which is okay. just like a bug tracking request system. I do no forking or hubbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or anything like that. But I see that it happens. I see mm-hmm. that the push is merged and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the push is merged and, you know, all that you kind know, of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then the other plots happen. <laughs> Everything we said, and that's the one you take. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I, I want to thank everybody who was trying to convince me to use Git. I think it, it's overkill. It's also one of those situations where, like, I know we, we talked about this with Dropbox for me, and I think it was like you, you were discussing like Google Notes as well. There's an additional layer, which is always when it has to be a tool not just for you, but a yeah. tool when you're working with multiple people yep. and it was one of these things of like i might be able to use git but selling this as a hey here's what we're gonna do between the two of us with me and my assistant i was like this is completely out of the question <laughs> like, there is a no way this is going to be the right tool for the two of us i saw somebody ask on twitter would icloud file sharing not work for this okay so here's the current state of affairs okay someone else mentioned that on the reddit And it's one of these interesting moments because I realized that I had gotten something into my head that wasn't true. You know, sometimes when you've used systems for a long time, you can have this idea of, oh, I know the way things work because I know how a tool that I've used for years works. And you don't realize, oh, it's actually changed since then. Mm -hmm. And so you have artificial restrictions in your brain. So in iCloud Drive... There are these, I don't even know what to call them, if if Apple has a specific name for them, but there are like these folders that your applications use, which is sort of different from, oh, you just have a folder. And often they're putting like, oh, these are files that are not really meant for the user to access. It's like a bunch of stuff that the app just keeps for itself. Well, some some apps keep all of your projects in there though yeah yeah yeah. but but like sometimes the apps are just using it for themselves sometimes it's oh hey you can actually put files in this and so this exists at the root level of icloud drive and in my head precisely because of my long experience with apple and the way icloud drive used to work i always filed those in my head as like oh, these are like library folders. They're not really here for the user. You just interact with them entirely through the app. Yeah. And I have a separate folder, which is acting like basically Dropbox, where it's like Gray's iCloud stuff. And this just has a bunch of folders in there. And I had artificially <laughs> I, in my head... About Gray, it's like Gray's iCloud stuff. Keep out. Top secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no boys allowed, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah was it in cut it's gross i think was the sign um but <laughs> good old covenant hobbs but so anyway like i just i had divided in my head this totally artificial line which i realized through the conversation on reddit so again it was very helpful to everybody who was leaving comments it's like wait a minute i think i can just dig into this obsidian icloud folder where i'm syncing stuff and 
can I just share a single subfolder of this with my assistant? And it turns out, yes, I can. So I can, mm. I can go into there and just share a folder with her. Now, we've currently run into one more technical problem, which I was literally checking in as we were putting the show notes together this morning. I'm like, what's the current status of us trying to figure this out? So the current limitation that we don't know if it's technical or not is... My assistant will be doing this work on a Windows machine. <laughs> Why the sharp intake of breath there, Mike? I would not trust that at all. Okay, so <laughs> here's the fun we've been having. Because I literally haven't had my hands touch a Windows computer in greater than a decade. Like the last time I used a Windows computer, I was working as a teacher. Yeah. And so we were going through a bunch of steps, but I figured out, oh, Apple makes in a program that they call iCloud for Windows, uh-huh. which and now this is this is where we get into it. I'm trying to help my assistant with like technical support on her Windows machine mm. upon which I know nothing. So it feels like I'm a blind person, like reaching into the void and being like, oh, maybe this this box goes over there. I don't have any idea. She sent me screenshots and like. It was so funny to get a screenshot of just like, oh, here's what I'm looking at. And like, I know what nothing on this screen is. I don't even know if I'm looking at a file browser. Like, what is this? I have no idea. So she is able to access the files on her Windows computer. But what we haven't been able to figure out is there doesn't seem any way for her to edit them in place. Like she has to make a copy. She can edit the copy then delete the original and rename the copy the Don't same like as the original. Don't like that at all. <laughs> I know, right? So I'm not exactly sure what the current state of this project is, but it does turn out, yes, in theory, you can share subfolders of any iCloud folder, even those weird app ones, which I just didn't think was the case, with another user even if they're on Windows. Um, so my question is, now look, I'm not trying to make anyone change platform, right? Mm-hmm. How impossible would it be for your assistant to do this work on an iPad? So we have also been exploring iPad as an option. I think that that's the way to go. I would tell you right now, do not trust the Windows tool. No, you don't trust it? I just don't. Okay, so iCloud file sharing mm-hmm. has been a problem on the Mac in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like it has suffered from unreliability, which is yeah. like, this is one of those things for me. Do you remember for a really long time, nobody trusted photo syncing? Like yes, none yes. of us trusted photo syncing, but over time we learned to trust it. Mm-hmm. I feel this way about iCloud file sharing because even things like shared iCloud folders took over a year to be, like it was supposed to be in a version of iOS and just never showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's like just recently started to actually work. So like, I'm not even convinced that this is a something that had enough long term user testing on. What if I used it for something mission critical though? Why, why do you yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> this surely is not an issue that way, right? So I wouldn't trust this with the Windows tool because mm-hmm. I don't know, man. 
<laughs> so, like, this was... I'm just looking it up now, right? This mm-hmm. was supposed to come out with macOS Catalina, and it got delayed on the Mac for a long time. Like, file sharing? Mm-hmm. A folder sharing, actually. I don't know if you're doing folder sharing or file sharing here. It's folder sharing. It has to be folder sharing. This is a relatively new thing. I wouldn't feel comfortable. My biggest issue is that if she is actually unable to just edit in place, mm-hmm. that's... I just can't. Um, I just can only imagine that's going to cause some kind of problem. Yeah, yeah. Like some kind of syncing issue with Obsidian. Like Obsidian's mm-hmm. going to be looking for a file that doesn't exist. I also do have that flagged in my head as like, okay, this is workable, but this also feels like the exact kind of thing that can confuse syncing very easily. You're going to get some kind yeah. of conflict somewhere. Yeah, someone made a copy, edited the copy, deleted the original, renamed the original to be the copy. Like, that feels great if everyone's computer is online at the same time while it's happening. But that feels like it could be real bad if someone's computer is offline and wakes up with a different version of the file. And then it's like, wait, what happens here? I have in the past noticed that iCloud Drive syncs not as quickly as Dropbox. Yeah, iCloud Drive, I feel very much the same way as you, where when it first came out, I just didn't trust it at all. Mm-hmm. For me as an individual user, I think it's basically rock solid now. Like I haven't I'm had any with problems it with it. Yeah. yeah, I use it for not, I still use Dropbox, but like I, u- I don't worry about using iCloud Drive for my own stuff anymore. Like if an app uses it or whatever, like I use it as like, okay, like I'll have some stuff in here. That's totally fine. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly fine with it as well. But it does still have this thing of iCloud Drive is never in a rush to synchronize anything. I don't know. It always feels like iCloud Drive just spends a lot of time in a cafe, sipping tea, looking out the window, like reading the newspaper. And like it'll it'll do its job, but maybe not right now. You know, it'll it'll do it when it's convenient. And that's fine if I can tell it sync now like i can with dropbox yes exactly But you can't you have no control over icloud drive it will just get to it when it's ready like if i think something's stuck with dropbox i can pause and unpause it and it will start going Mm -hmm. again or i can look in the little dropbox app and it will show me what's syncing yes icloud drive has none of this sometimes there's a little spinner right or like a little progress bar but that's all you get and like uh What's particularly delightful right now is, of course, we're recording this. I'm on the writing computer, which Mm -hmm. is used for podcasting as well. Naturally. And whenever we do that, I have a little shortcut that I run that turns off Dropbox for four hours, and then it will turn Dropbox back on after we're done recording. Because you don't want Dropbox spinning and eating up all the the internet while that's happening. Some people don't have a problem with this. Uh, My Dropbox is currently uploading this conversation. (sighs) Yes, I know, Mike. We're all very impressed with your super fast internet (laughs) connection. fantastic for you we had a conversation beforehand where gray was telling me about his internet woes which is why i am now cyberbullying him yes so it is vital for all podcasters to Mm -hmm. minimize everything that's using the internet while you're doing something that's going to be real time for some podcasters for some podcasters for all podcasters but so in this conversation of course while we're discussing icloud drive i opened up my icloud drive folder just to look at the obsidian thing and even right now on the bottom there's a little message which says icloud drive is currently downloading 15 items five gigabytes out of 12 gigabytes and it's like 
What are you doing, iCloud Drive? <laughs> I have no idea what that could even possibly be. And it's like it's extra funny to me because we're recording the show. I have just come back from a two-day trip where I didn't bring any devices other than my phone. Like, I didn't really take any pictures. This is the first time I'm using any of the computers. Also, all the computers have been on the entire time I was gone. And it's like, hey, this is what gives iCloud Drive that feeling of like, oh, it's got other stuff to do. And oh, iCloud Drive, I guess, was on vacation over the past couple of days. And right now, while we're recording a podcast, it's decided to download 10 items, like 11.35 gigabytes worth of stuff. Like right now it's going to download. I don't have any problem with it because it does work. It syncs. Everything is there. But there is a little bit of like, what you doing, buddy? Where were you? What 12 gigabytes of stuff do you have to sync when I literally haven't touched any of my devices other than my phone for the past two days? It's so weird. Well, I mean, maybe it's downloading a bunch of files from someone's Windows PC that have been accidentally added in. Yeah, I mean, but that's also where I'd love to see what it's actually downloading so I could go like, oh, it's downloading, you know, system 32 folder. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, then at least I can debug that and I can have some idea of what's going on. So... I don't really know quite where we are in this technical project. I I do think the next step is to try to figure out if there is a way to do it on the iPad. I wasn't quite sure how to debug that, but it does just occur to me. I can try to do this as a test with my wife's iPad. So I can actually just have a device in front of me that isn't mine and see, okay, can I make it work on my wife's iPad? And then I have a prayer of doing tech support over the phone of how to get this to work for somebody else. My recommendation is if you're going to go down this route, if it does work, you should keep it to Apple platforms. Yeah, no, that, that would be ideal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one, if there's an issue, you can't debug it. But two, it's just, you know, if it's going to be supported well anywhere, this is the best place. Like, I guarantee you, no matter how many people are working on it, and I'm sure there are really smart people working on it, Mm-hmm. It's just not going to get the resources for the Windows software that you're yeah, going to no. get for iPad OS for the syncing of documents, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's just that's just naturally the way I would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Like of course Apple has to make it absolutely rock solid and like making it work on Windows is great, but it it just can't ever be priority number 1. It just yeah. It would be insane if it was that way. You just yeah. you just couldn't possibly. But I mean, especially because the open in place thing is just what's freaking me out. Like Yes, no, there's also that's a like as a as a long time power user, that's a real red flag for like, yeah. ooh, I don't like this at all. Because there was a time when that was just what iCloud Drive did. Like mm-hmm. you could not open files in place with iCloud mm-hmm. Drive. Like, and it was one of the things I didn't like about it. Like every time I opened it on another machine, it would make a duplicate. And it's just like, mm-hmm. this isn't what I want. Or like if an app wanted to use something in another app's folder. Mm-hmm there was just no way to access those documents, right? You would have to copy them. But now you don't need to do any of that because those app folders are now just treated as folders inside of the whole thing that you're able to freely access. So it works fine. But if it's still doing that kind of stuff on Windows, I'd be a bit like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work great. But I will say, if you can get this to work better... It will be better for you than Git. I'm almost convinced of that. Git is is not an option. Uh, you know, I now know way more about Git than I ever did before, and I still feel like, oh no, this is this is this is just too much. But yes, I do want to thank everyone for technical support. I want to anti thank Mike for bringing this up at the end of the show because it really has gotten under my skin of 
I, I would like to have a system that is much better for doing hand annotations on the script. I really do feel like that's a critical part of my workflow that is just is not where it should be. I don't know why I'm getting anti-thanked then. You're getting anti-thanked because I had brushed this to the corner of my mind and I just was mostly able to not think about it. I'm just it here and... trying to make your work better, you know? <laughs> just, I'm I know. And anti-thanked for but it. It's, it's super annoying. Like, I didn't have a problem before and now I have a problem, right? right? So the script process may have been slightly suboptimal, but I was able to deal with it. And now I feel like, oh, great. I have this really annoying technical problem to try to solve with a bunch of tools that might not want to work well together to make this happen so i actually think that what you just said then is just a pretty good summary of our show and working life together in general oh yeah i didn't have a problem now i have a problem (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that sums everything up really nicely (laughs) (laughs) this episode is brought to you by fitbod between balancing all of the things that you have going on in your life whether it's your social life your work life your family life and everything in between, this can make it hard to make fitness a priority. Especially if it's not working for you. Maybe you've been trying to do something and you're not really feeling it. This is why you need FitBud. Because FitBud has an algorithm that will learn about you, your goals, and training ability that you have. So it can craft a personalized exercise plan that is unique to you. Their app makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform every exercise. Because when you have that plan that is made just for you, that's when it's going to stick. You'll see the results that you are looking for. They use data to create and adjust a dynamic fitness plan so you can have instant access to it from anywhere with your own personalized routine in their fantastic app, which makes making progress on your goals really fantastic, really simple, and possible from wherever you are. Everybody's fitness path is different. FitBod does all this work to make sure that they can customize things exactly to suit you because they know it's important. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next is going to be even better. Whether you work out twice a day or twice a week, it doesn't matter. FitBod will also track your muscle recovery to make sure things are balanced with a variety of exercises so you're not overworking or underworking anything. I really love how easy that app is to use. I love how easy it integrates with my Apple Watch so when I'm in the workouts, I can advance to the next ones really easily and if I want to go and see what this new workout's all about that I'm going to be doing, I can go and watch their really awesome videos that they have which makes it super simple for you to learn every exercise. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. Fitbot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% of your membership by signing up right now at fitbod.me slash cortex. So go there today and get your customized fitness plan. That is fitbod.me slash cortex to get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash cortex for 25% off. Our thanks to Fitbod for the support of this show and Relay FM. Speaking of problems, mm-hmm. I think Apple's going to help me out. How's Apple going to help you out? This might be the best thing Apple has done for me personally ever. Oh, yeah? Okay. They have announced that I think starting next year, they are no longer going to require people to put email addresses in RSS feeds for podcasts. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, what on earth could this be? All right. So... I spoke about this when I was complaining, when I had like a real just like breakdown about email a while ago on the show, because mm-hmm. I was just fed up with the amount of absolute shit I get in my email inbox every day, and mm-hmm. I know where it's coming from. It's like people getting my email address or Relay FM email addresses from podcast RSS feeds, 
and they just get added to mailing distribution lists and I get spam, endless spam about, hey, do you want this cryptocurrency expert on your podcast, right? Like that's just what I get all day, every day. And now Apple is saying no longer will we be requiring this uh, because they've now like, you know, in the intervening time, Apple now has a whole system for submitting podcasts to Apple Podcasts called Podcast Connect, which is like, basically it's based, I think, on what the App Store Connect thing is, where you like submit stuff and it gets reviewed and then you can view statistics and all that kind of stuff about your shows. They've now made it that like, basically that's what they care about is you have an account on Podcast Connect Hmm. and you can have multiple users and all that kind of stuff. And so that's just kind of how a contact email address for Apple is given. Mm. and that no longer needs to be confirmed in the RSS feed. I will be intrigued to see, I haven't actually looked into this, like how are they getting ownership claim of feeds? Because I think that was part of it, right? That like the, and this is something that a lot of platforms have used and it's going to be interesting to see how this changes. That like you submit an RSS feed and then to a, to a platform, the platform looks for the email address in the feed Mm-hmm. then contacts that email address with a code, which you then validate as like, I own this feed. Mm-hmm. So I haven't actually looked into that. I'm sure that they've, but like just like a thought that popped into my mind right now, but whatever, I'm sure there's a system. But the reason this is good for me is we will now be able to remove email addresses, hopefully, from our RSS feeds, mm. which will stop some of the crap email that I get. Because I'm sure I'm already on a bunch of lists, so like yeah. I know I'm going to get it forever. But there will be a selection of new lists that my email address won't be on, which I'm excited about. Yeah, you you can kind of stop the future spread of this. Yeah. Is is the main thing? Like eventually, I might be able to weed out a lot of the spam, right? And it's just not not new spam that's coming, mm-hmm. and there'll still be some, but it'll be less. Like and over time, I can kind of get rid of it, get rid of it. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear about that as well. I was going to talk about this either on State of the Apps or in, in the theme episode, but might as well mention here just so like so people can truly understand the scale of this issue of like oh, when you have to have your email address in a publicly accessible database like this with Apple, I made a real push over the past few months to try to clear up my email and try to get back on top of the system for a bunch of reasons. Mm. And in the past three months, I made a note when I started so that I could see where this went. I have deleted over 100,000 emails. And it's like a huge portion of that is obviously coming from the fact that like, oh, my email address has been in this public area and is is like accessible. And you just get, like Mike said, so many weird offers and just... Yeah, like this whole level of emails where they're directed at you, but they're not personal to you. It's just monstrous to try to deal with to actually find the useful emails under this enormous Mm -hmm. dump of things. And it's part of the reason why, like, I think when people hear like, oh, I just have largely ignored my email for huge amounts of time. People are like, how can you do that? It's like, well, it's just because the like the signal to noise ratio is so awful. The majority of that wasn't 
straight up spam. Like my little like how many messages do you think have thing doesn't track the spam messages. That's like the stuff that is deleted. It's all this weird semi spam stuff that that comes through through this kind of thing. So I'm very happy to hear about that, too. So, yes, I would like to get my email out of those lists if remotely possible. This is one of those things that took it about the software. We will be able to make that change for Relay FM shows because we control our feeds. Mm hmm. But then it's up to other podcast platforms and systems to also decide that they want to make that change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But hopefully they will, and uh, it will make things easier for a lot of people. While we're talking about big companies and podcasting initiatives, some time ago, we spoke about the idea of YouTube getting into podcasting as mm -hmm. like a thing that mm -hmm. we were just wondering, like, what is this sleeping giant going to do? And I don't know if they've actually done anything, but there's been a bit of a hubbub in the podcasting community about the fact that YouTube now has a dedicated page, which is youtube.com slash podcasts. And if you're in America currently, ah, yeah, if you're in the USA, it shows you a page where they have curated a bunch of podcasts and made some playlists for them. I used a VPN and took a screenshot of this page at some point, mm -hmm. which I've put in the notes for you and I'll put in the notes for other people. Uh, it's not really much of anything right now. Okay. It's like, here are a bunch of popular podcast creators and here are a bunch of playlists of different types and right. here you go. And so like they're kind of curating podcasts which I'm not really sure why they feel the need to do this, what seems manual curation. It kind of seems antithetical to what YouTube is, but it definitely feels like there is manual curation going on here hmm. because I have not found, unless you have a way to tell YouTube, hey, we're a podcast, right? So, so okay, so here, here's what I wonder about this. Um, yeah, so, so when we talked about it last time, I am I'm really big on like oh if I was in charge of YouTube I think podcasts is a big growth area for them actually. I think there's a lot that they can do here. I genuinely really want YouTube to get into the podcasting area like both as a producer and also as a listener because I think they can really help solve the discovery problem which is part of what podcasts are the worst at now. Like See, I don't I don't know if I agree with you. Okay, why don't you agree with me? Because people are already doing it. YouTube don't need to, to have a hand in this at all. What do you mean? People are already putting video versions of their podcasts or like people are already treating like, here's a bunch of people in a room. We have microphones, we have cameras. This is now a podcast and it's on YouTube, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is already happening and the YouTube algorithm is serving this content to people. YouTube does not need to have a podcasting initiative of any kind for this to happen on its own. So like, I would prefer them to do nothing because my concern is if they try and turn their hand to this it's going to upset a bunch of stuff what are you worried about getting upset it's another big platform saying they do podcasts when it's okay i'm getting a bit tired of the debate of like a podcast is only a podcast if it's in an rss feed i've said this a bunch of times <laughs> but i feel like now it's just been That's repeated That's too many stupid. times right it's just like whatever but a youtube video is not a podcast. It just isn't. Like, if I can't get it in a podcast app, it's not a podcast. It's just, here is a long YouTube video. 
Mm-hmm. And my concern is, like Spotify, YouTube will be encouraging people to just publish their stuff on their platform. That's the part that bugs me, right? The RSS mm. thing, whatever. But a podcast should be available wherever you get your podcasts. That's my kind of conceit on it. Like the particulars about exactly how, I don't care about. But I do believe that this is a type of content which is best served when people can get it wherever they want to get it. Now, that could mean that like you do what we do. We have a podcast. We also publish on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm cool with. And if YouTube stays out of this space, this keeps happening, right? People maybe make it their YouTube video and then they release the audio, right? Mm -hmm. My concern is if YouTube keeps pushing in, they're going to go, no, 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 no. Don't do that part. Here's $20 million. Just keep it on our platform. Okay, so, so you're worried they're going to provide financial incentive yeah. to be... Ex- I was Because I was trying to think, like, well, why wouldn't someone just also publish it as an RSS right. feed? They're going to do what Spotify's doing. Hmm. Because, like, the, my point is, like, I think people say, like, Mike, you're, you're saying people should stop making one argument, but it's the same argument. I don't think that it's the same thing. Like, because we participate in what are considered closed platforms. Like, you can get all of our podcasts on Spotify, but that's because we're not entering any particular deal with them. They're just another destination for us to publish our shows, right? Mm-hmm. But if Spotify said to us, like, if you want to put your stuff here, we're the only place that you can publish it. I'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. Because mm-hmm. now we're not participating in the open ecosystem. And so if YouTube just continue doing what they're doing right now, people can choose to do whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. They can put their video version on YouTube they can put their audio, maybe their video on Spotify. They can put their audio wherever they want, right? It can go into Apple Podcasts. It can go into every single other third-party podcast app. My concern is if they're like, hey, we have a podcasting initiative. Hey, uh, Logan Paul, here's $50 million. Now you just publish your podcast with us. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing I don't want to happen. And I would worry would happen if... YouTube continues pushing into this arena. Right. Okay. I guess I guess I think that is fair because I have run across a couple of channels that even call what they're doing a podcast. And then I discover there is literally no place to watch it other than YouTube. And that's not a podcast to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now it's just a YouTube show, which is great. Like, go for it. Mm. If you're not on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, like you're not doing it, right? It's not a podcast anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know. What's particularly weird about that is I found a couple of examples that are just audio only too. They're not even doing the, uh, oh, we have cameras and we have that fancy whatever Rode microphone or the Shure SMB or whatever the heck it is. They're not even doing that. It is just, it's like what we do with Cortex. It is just audio only. And then I've gone to search for adding it to Overcast. And it's like, oh, there's no RSS feed at all. That I always think is very interesting. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, why are you <laughs> just publishing the audio to YouTube? <laughs> um, it's, it seems very strange to me. So, okay, I think that's a, that, that is a fair fear. I think, I think you're not wrong there. I guess I just, I feel like YouTube is less bad because it, I don't know, it's, maybe it's wrong. It just, it just feels much better than something like a Spotify Sounds like Stockholm Syndrome to me. What I was just trying to think here is like, can I actually come up with an actual reason why? And nothing is is leaping into my head. YouTube just works for you. Yeah. Right? So like to you, YouTube's fine because you use it and understand it. Yes. And you benefit from it. You understand how to be successful with it in a way that I think a lot of people don't. 
And so to me, YouTube is really nerve-wracking because I've built an audience however I've built it, whatever the way is. I don't know how it's mm-hmm. happened, but it's happened over time, right? I don't think I would have been able to do that the same way with YouTube deciding what's shown to people. Mm-hmm. Like, we talk about this a lot, right? The subscriber and the algorithm. And I mm-hmm. think that my content and the shows that I make have succeeded based on the fact that people made a choice and then they kept tuning in because there was a new episode in their list. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if it was YouTube, I don't think that would happen. And also, one of the things I love about podcasting is the barrier to entry is low. You just need a microphone and Zoom or Skype or whatever, right? And you can go for it. With YouTube, that barrier to entry is so much higher. Yeah. Because as soon as you put video into it, to get something that looks professional, so much more time, so much more effort than to get a podcast that sounds professional. You really don't have to do a lot to get a podcast that sounds good. With YouTube, it's now a whole different kettle of fish because I dug through this page. As far as I could see, every podcast that is featured has a video component. It's not mm. like what we do. So one one of the reasons why I think this this has struck me as an interesting project that I wonder if YouTube is getting into is that YouTube does have a feature which I don't I don't think it's accessible to all channels. Like I think it we can't do it on Cortex. I think I remember looking for it once. It may just be in beta. But they have a way as a creator where you can it's they don't say like mark as podcast but i feel like this is functioning what they're doing they're asking if the video that you have uploaded is a is like an audio only experience or if it is something that is a listenable experience i forget exactly what their what their language is but what they're asking for there and i've seen it on the youtube app for for stuff that is basically like listening to a thing YouTube will change the interface to act yeah. like audio controls. It's like them YouTube music. They show the YouTube music controls, which is like big play, pause, and skip buttons. Yes, yes. And so that's the thing that has, has seemed to me interesting. And like, I wonder, looking at this page... I don't think they want to do that. You don't think that's what they're up to? No, I think they want people to make video podcasts. Hmm. I don't think they want audio podcasts. Oh, but see, Mike, I want them to want audio podcasts. But I don't think so. that they do. <laughs> I really don't. I, I think that... Y- YouTube no video, mm-hmm. and so they just want video. Hmm. And just poking around this page... It's a very strange page. It like, seemed I was, I, <laughs> incredibly clear to me, because, look, I'm not trying to be that guy. There were shows that had significantly smaller audiences than even we do on YouTube mm-hmm. that were included in this, and they were included in it, I believe, because they make video shows, and we don't. Right, okay. So I don't want podcasting to become a video medium as a consumer i watch lots of podcasts on youtube Mm -hmm. but i don't want that to be the only way that this content is created because i think it would stop a lot of great shows from being made Hmm. when i heard this announcement i was looking around to try to see this podcast page and what it was and i couldn't find it and so now obviously that's why it's only in the u.s Mm -hmm. can't see it over here and so i just have this screenshot of yours to go by and it is a strange selection of things the one that particularly strikes me is the one at the very top which is the nightly news broadcast from like clearly a tv channel 
And that's a bit like, yeah. is that a podcast? No, it's no, not. No, I think that's a, that's a news program yeah. that you could listen to. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe you're right in the long run. Maybe this isn't like the thing that I would be thinking of if I was in charge of YouTube podcasts. This is more like a watch time initiative. How can we min-max content that is really long but also still has a visual component and highlight those as things for people to watch? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say that the more I look at this screenshot, the less I like I like it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not convinced that this would be a good thing. Hmm. I like that we're able to take our podcast to whatever platform we want and make them available to whoever wants to get them. And my worry is another big platform coming in and locking that content down because I, I genuinely think that's bad for everybody. It's bad for the creators even though they make a bunch of money, not all of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's bad for the creators collectively. Yes. And it can be very good for individual creators. Like, especially, yeah, individual creators, whatever, they've just made their money. Like, make your money, right? And I don't begrudge creators that do that individually. Mm-hmm. But what I don't like is when there are, like, companies that decide they're going to do this exclusive arrangement. And now there are a bunch of podcasters who are, their next move is now hampered. Like if you're mm. a person who works for a podcast company, that podcast company decides they're going to put all their content on Spotify. You're now kind of stuck with the amount of people that can be listened to on Spotify, which is growing all the time. I will say mm-hmm. recently, uh, you know, I've been tracking kind of our show. It's, it's like 15% of our audience now listen to the show on Spotify. I'm, I'm genuinely shocked by that yeah. number. I cannot believe it's that big. Mm-hmm. I would have guessed like... Three percent, I feel like, would have yeah. been my first first pass at that. No, it, it's approaching, and in some cases, passes what we do on YouTube now. Hmm. And so, like, I don't have a problem with that as like a creator because like we choose to be there. But if we were only on Spotify, well, now we've potentially taken eighty five percent of our audience away. Right, right, right. And so, I, these are the things that concern me for some for people that work in the industry of like well now if you work for a large publisher they've decided to go all in on one platform if you want to now go and start something on your own one day you've restricted the amount of people that could possibly know about you for you to now go make that move you know so little things like that bother me and so I don't want another big company to do to do this hmm. and the problem I have is YouTube is I think the company that could have the biggest negative impact because of their size and scale. And you think that negative impact would be directly through exclusives? Yeah. Hmm. They have a lot of money and could write a lot of checks if they wanted to. They don't even need to pay you cash or just change your rev share. Yeah, that is very true. Say like, we can make you a ton of money over time if you just publish here. So stuff like that, it's just like, I I don't like the thought of that, really. Hmm. Well, you made me less happy about this project than I was previously. <laughs> it's like, Mike, but I, I would like to discover new podcasts. And I think YouTube could be really good at that. So that's, do that's I. My, that's my only interest. And like, oh. But it also is like counter <laughs> yeah. to what you like. YouTube doesn't want to recommend a channel to you. Yeah. It wants to recommend one video. So is it really going to help? That is That is also a good point. Even the very top here is like popular episodes. And again, we, we can get into this like platonic question of what is a podcast. But having individual popular episodes feels like 
that does not fit the platonic ideal of what no. podcasts are. It's like if I, you know, YouTube will recommend an episode of a podcast to me now because there's some kind of drama surrounding it. And then mm-hmm. I might go, ooh, lovely. And I watch 20 minutes of that podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of anything useful for anybody. Mm. Like, I have not decided I want to subscribe to that podcast. People got a big breakout hit. Now they think their podcast is successful, but it's not changed. Mm. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of podcasts, like, the very experience depends so much on the fact that you have already listened to other episodes or, mm-hmm. like, you know the hosts. Yeah. That also feels like a fundamental thing of, like, what are podcasts as opposed to videos is like, oh, I make a video and it is about a topic and the topic is the primary focus of the video. Like a video yep. is about a thing. There are podcasts that are like that, but there are far fewer of them than how YouTube yeah, yeah. channels work. The, the, but this is why like, I'm just trying to think about general characteristics mm-hmm. and like, oh, what makes a general characteristic of a podcast? And one of those general characteristics is... I am interested in the host's take on this thing because I have heard the host talk about lots of other things. Yeah. So like I am curious about the opinion of this person who I have some sense of who they are through long experience, which is at the absolute opposite end of the spectrum of this is a video about a thing and you don't need any previous experience with the thing because you're watching a video about the thing. You don't need to know anything about the person who's talking about it. It's just, this is the topic. In typical YouTube parlance, I guess like podcasts are kind of more like vlogs in that way. Like vlog channels, you have to like just start and understand that you're not going to get a lot of context for a while until you've maybe gone back and watch more videos to get more context about this person and why they're doing these things right now. It's kind of like podcasting, right? Like you could jump into an episode, you could pick it up and start listening and you'll get there eventually, but it might help the fact if you go back and listen to more of it, maybe all of it, maybe just a big chunk of it, Mm. it helps, right? But like that's one of the great things about podcasts, I think is like once you find a new one, oh, there's so much stuff to go and listen to if you enjoy it. But it makes it harder to just jump in than like your typical YouTube video about runway numbers or whatever. Mm. Like if you if there was like a six part podcast series about runway numbers that included follow up from the previous one, it's like not as easy to jump into. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know if the medium ultimately is really that good for YouTube to like really push on. It's like this is where podcasts should be. And then recommend them to people of like, hey, here's a popular episode. And you're just like, so? Mm. Like, I never see, like, if I get, because I get recommended all kinds of stuff, right? Like everybody. And I'm sure I get recommended, hey, here's a two-hour podcast from these people you don't know. Like, why? Why would I listen to that? But sometimes it's like, here's a creator you're already following, and this is their podcast channel. And they're now talking about this thing. Are you interested? And some people go, yeah, which is what, what, which is honestly like the main reason the Cortex YouTube channel exists, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we talk about things in your videos and then people get suggested them and they're like, oh, I'd like to know more about that. And then mm-hmm. they go and listen to the Cortex episode about whatever video. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if like that video just works cold to someone. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You're also just pointing out something that for my own 
like quote podcast listening on YouTube. That is also true. I've actually realized like, oh, my behavior actually expresses interest in the guest and total lack of interest in the hosts. Right. So YouTube will recommend me stuff like, oh, you're interested in person X. They've appeared on this show where they're talking to them. And I guess I never really thought about it, but my experience is almost entirely like, I don't care at all about the people who are talking to the person. In fact, most of the time is like they're an obstacle to hearing like the person that I want to hear discuss something. And yeah, I've never, ever subscribed to any of those kinds of things. Just like, oh, YouTube is recommending videos where a guest is making the rounds on podcast shows or whatever. It's like, oh, I want to hear the guest talk about the things. But that absolutely never helps those channels, at least from my perspective, to subscribe because I never have. Um, and I never, I never really thought about that. Yep. But I guess from YouTube's perspective, that fits into what they would be thinking of with this very top line here of like popular episodes. It is going to be very, again, more on the video side of it, more right. like the content side, not the long experience with the hosts side. So then does it push podcasts to be like, you'll never guess what? That's where I'm kind of going with this is... Because even when you mentioned uh, like, oh, it's more like vlogs on YouTube, I feel like the golden age of vlogging has totally passed. And mm -hmm. it's it's partly because vlogs slowly mutated into this same kind of format of, oh, you can't really count on people just to show up each week to see what a person's up to, even if that person is quite interesting. Vlogs kind of mutated more in the direction of stunts and, and yeah and it's like i'm actually trying to think and just excess yeah excess excess is a really good way to put it it's excess of everything uh, excess of everything <laughs> an excess of energy from the person who yeah. the vlog is about an excess in like just horrific lifestyles like an excess in what they're up to um you know we're skydiving out of an airplane onto another airplane today it's like yeah that's what everybody does for their weekend so yeah i i guess because I th and i think youtube just totally caused that with people realizing again because the subscribers are not really yours you cannot hold on to a regular audience even if those people are interested in your vlog like they just won't see that it exists and it pushed all of them into more mr beast end of the spectrum uh and so yeah i guess I guess inevitable, what I should have realized at the very start of this is that YouTube, if it gets into podcasts, will push podcasts into being more like the most viral of YouTube videos, which is not really at all what I want to get out of a podcast. And so now I'm sad. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Wealthfront. There's so much going on with the economy right now. Are we in a recession? Is it a bear market? What's going on with inflation? Well, I can't tell you the future, but I can tell you about a great place to earn more in your savings, and that's Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an app that helps you save and invest your money. And right now, you can earn 2% APY with the Wealthfront cash account. That's 20 times more interest than if you left your money in a savings account at the average bank, according to FDIC.gov. Getting a cash account is easy. It takes just a few minutes to sign up, and then you'll immediately start earning 2% interest on your savings. And you know how much... I'm a big fan of great design. It's something that I look for in the apps that I use. Wildfront has a really nicely designed interface that's refreshingly streamlined and not cumbersome. 
And when you open an account today, you'll get an extra $50 bonus with a deposit of $500 or more. There are already nearly half a million people using Wealthfront to save more, earn more, and build long-term wealth. So why wait? Earn 2% on your cash today. Visit Wealthfront.com slash Cortex to get started. That's Wealthfront.com slash Cortex. This high-interest good news has been a paid endorsement from Wealthfront. Our thanks to Wealthfront for their support of this show and Relay FM. How much of this AI art stuff going around have you seen? Hmm, interesting. Yeah? I mean, you okay, so you, you know what I'm talking about, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, I know what Dali is. There's a bunch of them. Dali, mm-hmm. I think, started this, right, into popular culture. Yeah. And then a bunch of other things came about. I don't know whether they're connected or whatever. Like, I know that AI art exists. I know that the way you generate it is by just giving a, a string of text to a, one of these AI programs, and it will spit something out for you. Like, I've seen YouTube videos about it. I've, you know, I have friends that have participated in doing some searches. I have honestly don't care for me, right? Like, I know that people are like, this is fun. I'm going to see what comes out when I put this text in. Like, for me, I have zero interest in Mm -hmm. it right now. And I have like negative interest in it for some stuff that, probably we're going to touch on if we're going to talk about this. Ooh, negative interest. Yeah. <laughs> wait, negative thoughts or negative interest as in it's below boring? It's, wait, it's like... <laughs> I think it's interesting, right? Like, uh-huh. I don't think this is boring. I think that this is a really fascinating technology thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. Okay, and let me explain for the listeners if they're not familiar with this. Because is it one of these, I've been kind of asking people about this. And it's very interesting to see the uh, varied response where some people are very like, OMG, I can't believe what's happening about this. Mm -hmm. And other people are like, I've never heard of this before. Right, right, right. The first thing where it really came across my radar Mm -hmm. is, I don't don't know if you've seen, there's a Twitter thread here, which is the first example that caught my attention of AI-generated art. And it's from this program called Dolly. Yeah. And yes, the idea with Dolly is you give the computer a sentence and it tries to generate Dolly in particular is like generating artwork, but it's generating an image to match the sentence. Dolly is apparently the best of these. Like there's a bunch around. Dolly seems to be the one that is the most advanced and it's also closed. Like, not everyone can use it, but people get invitations and then, like, a limited amount of, like, questions that they can give it, I think. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is incredibly computationally intensive. Yeah. So it's, like, it is very expensive to run. You cannot run it very well on just normal computers. You need, like, these Amazon-style clusters of machines to actually do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but so th- this this particular thread caught my attention because... This thread is incredible. Someone came up with an idea of, hey, I'm going to try to ask Dolly to make images of Kermit the Frog in various style movies. You need a prompt. This is the sentence. So the prompt is a still of Kermit the Frog in Blade Runner 2049. And so then you get an image which is supposed to match that. And I have to say, it looks exactly like you would imagine a still of Kermit the Frog in Blade Runner would look like. It's it's photorealistic. It captures 
the style of that futurism. And what makes this thread really great is they continue onward. And so it goes, a still of Kermit the Frog in The Matrix. And so here's what Kermit would look like if he was in The Matrix. The one that really caught my attention was a still of Kermit the Frog in Spirited Away. It just looks like it's in the movie. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The Spirited Away one was the most shocking because like, Miyazaki has a real distinctive art style. Mm-hmm. And it just absolutely nails it of yeah. oh this is how this is how Kermit the Frog would look like if he was in a Miyazaki movie. Right, but here's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. How? Well, let's let's get to that later. Right? Okay. We'll get to the how okay. later, right? Okay. <laughs> but it, like, don't think about it too hard. I just I just think the 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 thing to establish here is that it is possible. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're listening to the show and you have never heard of this stuff before, like go look at this link in the description to see. It looks much better than however you're imagining yeah. it would be. Yeah, it's legit. Like yeah. it's honestly. You could show me this and tell me somebody made a puppet and put it, and I would believe you. Like, Mm -hmm. I would believe that it is real in many of these, or that somebody sat down and drew this. Like, I would believe you. Yeah, you wouldn't look at it and think, oh, that was obviously a computer-generated image. Absolutely not. For, like, 75% of these look perfect and in particular the kind of weird photorealistic ones are interesting like there's a still of kermit the frog in total recall which doesn't look like an animation it really looks like oh someone made a model and then photographed well the twin peaks one uh way down there yeah so the, the other thing is about this that i think is interesting to realize immediately is since this is a computer and you can just type in sentences, you can generate hundreds of these very quickly mm-hmm. in the time like it would take an actual artist to make this stuff. You're looking at like, oh, this is thousands of human hours compressed down to a person's interesting afternoon. So which is the one that you wanted me to find? I don't know. It's, I can't even. Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Okay. I've got Bojack Horseman, Borderlands. It's above that one. Uh, eraser. The Eraserhead one is also really good. Yeah. Um, Twin Peaks is above Oh, the, the Twin Peaks ones. Right. Okay. There we go. Yeah. It just looks like a vinyl puppet. Yeah. It looks like a vinyl puppet. These things are really quite good. This is the first one that caught my attention. And so I think it. it you, you're totally right. In the timeline of how is this stuff going, Dolly is the first one that started getting people's attention. And I think it's very easy to think like Dolly is the best one, but I've been following this more closely. And what is really quite amazing is how fast this area is improving. That Twitter thread is from several months ago, and I'm going to send you one, which is a much more recent one. This is a, a Twitter thread that's comparing some of the different programs that are coming along. And so Dolly, like you said, is is a closed project. You can't get public access to it. But there's a group that's making another version of this, which is called Stable Diffusion. And this is like a publicly available open source version of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the amount of improvement that this one is making is absolutely freaking breathtaking of how good Stable Diffusion is. And the thing with Stable Diffusion is, unlike Dolly, which is sort of explicitly trying to be like art, Stable Diffusion is just trying to make images. So it's not 
necessarily trying to be like, oh, this is what the Mona Lisa would look like if Picasso painted it. I don't understand the distinction. So I think the distinction can be summed up in one of the examples here, which is if you scroll a little bit of the way down, the prompt is behind the scenes shooting of the moon landing, Hollywood studio, 1969. So the prompt there is create an image of the moon landing being faked in 1969. And I think if, if you look at those images, stable diffusions, one looks a lot more like just a natural photograph that someone would have taken. Whereas the Dolly two one almost has a little bit of a feeling of like a Renaissance painting, right? With the lighting and the way people are staged. Right. But this is terrible. Right. So this is, but, but do you see what I mean? Like if someone showed you that stable diffusion, image, yeah. it's like, Oh, that just looks like a photograph that somebody took while the moon landing was being faked. Can't we, with Dali, though, ask it to be photorealistic? Then maybe that wasn't the prompt. I don't know. Yeah, so I think you have to be more explicit with the Dali stuff about trying to make it look real. Right, because like right at the top of this thread, there's one which is the prompt is film still portrait of an old man, wrinkles, dignified look, gray silver mm. hair. Like the Dali 2 one is like. I mean, stable diffusion is very good too, but like the, you know what? Actually, looking at them, I think I see what you mean from this one. The, yeah. the Dali 2 one looks like. It's like an amazing Pixar still. If Pixar did it. Well, the stable yeah. diffusion one actually looks more like a photograph. Yeah, the stable okay. diffusion one looks like it's a real person. Yep, I get it. Now, here's the key thing. At this stage already, what we're talking about is like incredibly subtle, but I think it is interesting and important that stable diffusion isn't trying to be an interesting art project. Stable diffusion is, it seems like they're really aiming for, make an image of what we've typed. Anything. like and it, and it just looks like an actual image. It's not art focused. I'll put all these links in the show notes, by the way, so people can go, because you, you really should go see these images. Yeah. So I think this is, it's really caught my attention because I cannot think of an area of technology recently that I have seen progress as fast as it has as this area of a machine is able to make an image that you couldn't possibly tell that a human had not made. And uh, I think this is one of these things that is going to have an absolutely massive impact on the world very quickly. Like... If you scroll down, there's one that's particularly to me really captures the like what's going to happen with this. And the prompt is low poly game asset Cthulhu monster isometric view. And so this has generated what is a very good model for a computer game. If you were going to have a little computer monster and you wanted it to be in this low poly art style. Well, I mean, the stable diffusion one didn't do a good job. Um, yeah, the stable diffusion one there, I think this is actually where you see the very fact that stable diffusion is trying to do real images. Yeah. Is like, oh, the stable diffusion one isn't low poly. It actually looks much more like a real thing. Yeah, Dolly 2 has done the best job there, I think, of right. what you've asked for. But that is also, it's the most artistic style. Yeah. Like the, the, it yeah. is the most artistic interpretation. Mid-Journey is another one of these projects that's doing a similar kind of thing. And I think the Mid-Journey one is quite interesting. But it's like, man, I have seen this go from like 
very good to getting like incredibly specific and it seems to be getting much, much faster so quickly. And I look at this and I think, man, if I was in the graphic design world in particular, I would be terrified. Right. And stable diffusion, I couldn't find any good examples this morning. There's sort of one uh, directly below there, but they're, they also have like a lot of generate clip art about whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas of weakness is often like human stuff. But man, like they're coming for stock photography here. Like I think this stuff is going to just absolutely blow through the whole industry of stock photography and just destroy its existence very fast. If someone can, instead of searching on a stock photo site for an image that happens to be the thing that they want, like actually just type in, you know, I need three people in a room with this kind of laptop looking at a presentation that is this sort of thing. What do you think about all this, Mike? Like, what's what's your reaction looking at these images? I don't like it. Okay, why don't you like it? I don't. I don't think this is a good precedent. I feel this way about deepfake technology. I feel this way about audio AI technology, which people are always trying to pitch me on. Oh yeah. Well, uh, we get pitches from companies that are like. Why even read your ads anymore? Oh. Let us just feed the ad copy into a AI-generated version of your voice, and you can save all this time. Wow. Okay. I'm just like, how about fundamentally, let me tell you why I think that's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Right? But there are people that want to do that to my voice. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that somebody could take my voice and make me say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's the concern I have for this type of technology, that it can be used to create fake materials, and that moon landing thing is part of it, right? Mm-hmm. How will how will anybody in the future know what's true mm-hmm. when in seconds you could create an image which looks real and share it? We already have enough of a problem with people misunderstanding what an image means or misunderstanding what a sentence means. Mm. What are we going to do when it is impossible to work out what's true by looking at something? When someone can force you to have that misunderstanding based on showing you something you're supposed to believe with your eyes because your eyes tell you what's true, right? You see this image. Like if you said to me, oh my God, look at this image that was released at the moon landing. Mm-hmm. it was fake, I would be like, oh my God, he's right. Mm-hmm. Because it just looks like that, right? And so that's part one. And then part two is, what I care about is artists, individuals trying to make a living. And what they want to do is they want to be illustrators and they want to illustrate things for newspapers or whatever. And I worry about that entire industry of people that want to create like graphic design people like who work with you oh my god how easy would it be because you have such a defined art style there's so much of it so you know you you could just make all of your animations in theory based on feeding it prompts and i just don't like any i i i don't like the idea that all of these creative people would be put at risk because i don't believe in the idea of a computer being able to have the artistic vision of a human. I just don't think that that's possible. 
And the bigger issue is all of this is feeding on the back of people's human beings already existing work, right? So we go back to that Kermit thing. We talk about the Miyazaki movie. Well, it can only generate that because the AI has been pointed to the Miyazaki movies because there's no way it could know what that means. You can't say to an AI, create, put Kermit the Frog in Spirited Away if it's never seen what Spirited Away looks like. Mm-hmm. So it can create this... So like we would be in a situation where there is no more new inspiration anymore. We'll draw a line at 2045. That was the last time that human beings were allowed to make anything of their own. And now computers just make it all. And we're in this continued refresh of content that's just made based on everything that came in the 100 years before it. Like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very fun thing to play around with because it's fun right now. I don't like the future ramifications of this computer-generated content where there's no human interaction outside of here's a string of text, now it's done. Mm-hmm. It makes me uncomfortable. I, I worry about the future of creative endeavors because of technology like this. Yeah. When you say a sentence like, you don't think that the computer will be able to generate new things and it will always be a kind of remix. I, d- I don't go along with that as a general statement. Like, I, I... But that is how AI works, right? So like... You couldn't create an AI system without it having sucked in all this other information. Yeah, yeah, no. Don't, don't talking about there's there's two separate issues here. Like like there's a lot in this conversation, and there's there's one side that often comes out where people are like, ah, it'll never have the inspiration of a human. And I do think that is true now, and that probably will be true for a while. But I don't think that's a fundamental truth. Well, I'm not sure we should pursue that anyway how about we stop before the point where we allow computers to think on their own how about that <laughs> uh yes i didn't expect us to go like this hard and this fast into this topic but I, I guess i also think why is this so interesting is because i think this is something that you can show to people and i have shown to people when you, if you try to have the conversation about, oh, actually, I think AI is a terrifying existential threat for the human race. People are like, that's dumb. And you're like, okay, tell me what you think a computer can't do. And creativity is often very high up on that list. This stuff is doing a bunch of remixing. There is no denying about that. But this is also just like blows past what a lot of people think computers would even be possible of doing. Creating this kind of art just immediately. And the thing that I see happen in these conversations is people over the past few months have been pointing out they're going oh yeah the dolly stuff is really good but it's not great at textures you know oh you can see that the textures don't work perfectly on a bunch of the art that it generates it's like okay yeah cool you wait two months and they release the new version and you go oh it's way better at textures like it keeps getting better at all of the things they go oh it's not good at it's not good at creating text on these images and it's like okay i've already seen it keep getting better and better at text at every iteration and i i just think the final version of that for people is always oh yeah but ultimately it can't be creative in a new way and i just like i just don't think that that argument will ultimately hold like i think there will be a version of this that generates new new stuff that isn't just 
remixes of the old things in in different kinds of ways and there's huge concerns about that and i see the argument of like human human beings create this way we create based on what we've seen mm-hmm. but i just don't understand why can't we just continue to let humans do that why do we now need to have machines do it why do we need to have an ai platform that can create artwork with little effort mm-hmm. put in I don't I don't know why that's needed mm-hmm. in the world right outside of it being a curiosity if well that's all it ever is is it just exists as it currently does like people share these things on Twitter it's like haha look at this funny thing that I made but that's not why people were building this yeah and I am not comfortable with the idea of suggesting that the work of artistic people should be replaced by AI systems. I'm just not mm-hmm. comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you something that makes me really uncomfortable. So, I'm going to send you a link. There's so many projects in, in this world like it's hard to keep all of the different groups straight. So, I'm simply not even going to try. Like there's there's another group that is working in this same field and it's a project that they're calling textual inversion and so right now with all of these systems you kind of type in oh kermit the frog but he's in blade runner and you try kermit the frog in a bunch of different things but what they what they don't have is any kind of sense of continuity so all, all of these things are just individual one-off prompts and either you write a prompt and you get a good image or you don't but you can't create like a series of related images because everything just exists independently so of course people were like aha that's why like this won't go everywhere because the machine doesn't really understand what you mean by like kermit the frog you can't create a little animation with a stable Kermit the Frog. All of these things are just one-offs. And it's like, oh, well, textual inversion is working to uh, solve that problem where they're working to really nail down a particular concept that can then be expressed by these machines. And so they have a bunch of examples on this page of like, hey, if you give the computer a bunch of images it's really going to try to nail down pulling out a particular concept that you want to repeat and to make this process easier. And so like, okay, you scroll down on their page and like, there's a bunch of AI generated art images. Um, But I just happened, I just happened to click on one and follow it through. And it, I think it gets to the heart of like, boy, this is really uncomfortable. So they have a section called learning to represent styles. You feed it a bunch of, somebody's art and you try to teach it this is a style that this person has made and so they say like okay here's these four images that we've inputted and now we can say like oh what if this person was to paint the the streets of paris what if this person was to paint an adorable corgi and they have this art style that's kind of like a colorful psychedelic style And they happen to credit whose art style that is. And so it's this uh, person called uh, Queenie Art. And I clicked and went to follow this person. And it's someone on DeviantArt who died from cancer. Great. Yeah, this is what we want. Oh. Uh, Like, I I presume that this was someone whose permission you got to be part of the 
project. No, this is a person who was an artist on DeviantArt and like had a very unique style. And their last post on DeviantArt is from several years ago saying they have stage four cancer and they're not going to live for another year. I'm sorry. What the f*** just happened here? We could we can talk about like the machines copying people's styles, but this is a particularly awful example of like, oh, did did the people who put together this project even know? Like, are they just? But don't worry, Gray. Yeah. It says image reproduction authorized for non-commercial use only. Yeah, so, so it's so, okay. Yeah, that's the reason it caught my attention. Is they had they had this yeah. explicit disclaimer like we've made new art in this dead person style. It's for non commercial use only. That was the whole reason I clicked the link. I was like, oh, what's the deal with this artist? I wonder, did they put a bunch of stuff in the creative comment? Like I just I just didn't know. I was curious, and then no I just no copyright intended. It's fine. Yeah. It's like I stumbled upon like oh they're dead. I feel like the world has been bumping up against this concept in a variety of different ways yeah like the first place you start to see this is like oh having dead actors in movies and like yeah. okay there's a bunch of ways in which you can kind of clear the rights on this but now we have computer programs that are just like hoovering up everything that exists on the internet and then also being able to like target an individual okay that person mm -hmm. we want the machine to make more of that person and they're dead just do it and it, that feels really awful it feels really awful in in so many ways it's like a, an abuse of some kind or like i'm trying to think of the word but it's like wrong mm -hmm. it just feels wrong it's like taking advantage of them yeah in a way like i don't it's very uncomfortable that's a terrible example. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, it's one of the worst things I've stumbled upon in this whole world. Like, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know the backstory. Like, you know, may, maybe there's some like really reasonable explanation for this. Hey, look, maybe like, this person <laughs> would contribute to this system, like, whatever. But like, the yeah. point is not necessarily this one. It is just a proof of the point that this can and will happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and that there's there's like teams that are trying to solve the very specific problem of, oh, we want to be able to replicate an exact thing consistently a bunch with like a stable concept of like this person's art style, yeah. like or this object and and maintain it over time. <laughs> this is so messed up. Yeah, it's incredibly messed up. And I I just keep wondering when one of these systems is going to come across some kind of copyright constraint. And like the Miyazaki one is really the one that, that kind of caught my attention because I feel like Miyazaki's movies, they're beloved. And as often the case with like uh, someone who creates art that is beloved, it's partly because that creator has very specific ideas about how they want their artwork created very often how they want it distributed, what circumstances under which they view it. I think another good example of this is that I always think of uh, and give huge respect to is, is the author of Calvin and Hobbes. Like Calvin and Hobbes is a hugely successful strip, comic book strip. And part of the reason is because the creator was incredibly picky about how is this reproduced? He like he never wanted it merchandised. He never wanted like a bunch of different things done with it. And that's part of the reason why, like, oh, these comics, 
They're really untouched and magical in a way that very few things are in the modern world. And like, I cannot express how sad I would be if someone was like, oh, hey, I made an AI that just spits out brand new Calvin and Hobbes strips all the time because I'm sad that the author isn't making them anymore. It's like, no, please, please don't do that. That's that's terrible. And also kind of like ruins the thing that you're trying to do. Like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's incredible and scary economic impacts for everyone who works in the art world in any way and there's also just massive society impacts coming from this kind of thing in like every possible direction that you can look like i said there's this weird kind of taking advantage of people who've put their art out in the world and then there's just the like you said the mere question of Man, like if you thought it was hard to know what things are real before when you can fake photographic and we all know very soon video evidence of yeah. anything is like, man, that is terrible for the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if this was such a thing that could be constrained to isn't this a fun little curiosity, I have no problem with it. I think it's fun to see this stuff produced, right? Like, to see people creating Kermit the Frog in the style of Twin Peaks. It's like, this Mm -hmm. is really funny, right? Like, this is like a funny little thing. Share it on Twitter, and everybody says, hey, look what I put into Dali, right? I have no problem with that. Because it's like, well, here's the thing we're doing, and it's like, like, not no problem. I barely have any problems. It's just like, whatever. We know it's a fake image, Etc. Yeah, in the same way that if an if an actual human had created like, hey, I'm a real fan of Kermit the Frog and I'm yep. a real fan of Blade Runner. Yeah. And look at me. I put I put them together. Like I don't think anyone would really have a problem with no. that. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's just like, oh, this is fun fan art of things that you like. But it's the next phase of it that I mm. just can't reconcile in my brain. Of like, what comes after this then? Mm-hmm. What happens to special effects artists? What happens to illustrators? What happens to podcasters? Like, what happens mm-hmm. if we just decide that we're all good with the AI just doing this for us? Mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't think it's. I don't think it's a good thing, and it's, we don't need it, right? And so I don't really understand what the point of it is, especially when there's going to be a selection of people that take this technology, package it and sell it Mm -hmm. to companies to be like, you don't need this anymore, like all these people. Give us some money, which is less, and you can use our software. Yeah, what I have just seen develop recently with this stuff is the beginning of the commercialization of it and so there's a weird website which i don't entirely understand like how this how or why this works but there's a there's a website already where people can like buy or sell good prompts for generating art because right right now since it is so costly to generate this stuff like you don't want to mess around unnecessarily huh. it's like already people are are doing this thing of of like oh i can sell you a pack of prompts that will help you cut down on the difficulty of figuring out what looks cool 
Actually, there's a good article I found, which is like trying to get an image of like a llama playing basketball. And like the key phrases that you want are dramatic backlighting. Like that's one of the things that makes this photo of a llama playing basketball awesome. But so I think that this website is is trying to commercialize that. But the most directly commercial thing that I've seen, which I'll send you, is a Photoshop plugin that connects to stable diffusion. And so... It's like, okay, this is already being worked into professional tools. And you can see like, oh, using this plugin, a Photoshop expert who doesn't have any artistic skill can just start selecting images of the screen and ask Stable Diffusion to fill in what they actually want in this image. And I just think like, oh my God, like, here we go. Like, this is totally the beginning of, it has real commercial purposes. It is not just a like you said, a fun toy. And given how fast this stuff has developed, like I cannot imagine where this is going to be a year from now. I keep seeing people say like, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to make video out of this. Like it's just going to be still images. Like guys, video, I hate to break it to you. It's just a sequence of still images. (laughs) Like it's not magic. It's just way more computationally intensive. But I've already seen videos on YouTube that I am absolutely sure are 100% AI generated where it's like there's a voice it sounds pretty good but it makes me suspicious like I don't think it's actually a person it basically sounds like it's summarizing through language models like a Wikipedia article about a topic and they have you know a bunch of stock images which are mostly connected to the narration but not entirely And it's like, that stuff exists on YouTube already. Like, I'm very certain that those things are AI generated and they're just going to keep getting better and better and better. And I was like, I met a guy at a conference who was working on some AI research stuff. And he said that he had instituted this guideline that he was no longer reading or watching anything that he wasn't absolutely sure was produced by a real person. At the time, I thought this was kind of crazy, right? I thought like, whoa, dude, you know, you're really like, that's a real stance to take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I see of the stuff that Stable Diffusion is doing, the more I feel like, man, I don't know, like maybe that just is a good policy very soon. Like only r- read stuff that you know is written by a person because we like we just haven't touched on it here. But I think the art stuff really visually catches people's attention but there are projects that do this with language where they write things and can you tell that a person did or did not write this sentence no you can't tell and like the language models are also getting very very good very fast and they're also really starting to understand human concepts in a way that's like boy this is all just absolutely terrifying so yeah i don't know maybe it's significantly less crazy now than it was at the time or maybe like oh this guy just could kind of see what was coming but yeah i don't i don't know how we're going to survive in a world where it is incredibly cheap to produce a huge amount of content and distribute that content widely compared to what humans can create and distribute. Like we have enough problems sorting through the world, but it's just dealing with stuff that humans make. I don't know how this is going to go down when 
at some point the majority of material being generated is not being generated by humans like i think that it, that is going to be a very confusing world to live in before we go <laughs> <laughs> on, on that cheery note <laughs> that cheery for note. action you can take today for something that is unambiguously good saint jude saint jude org slash relay go there now donate find out more about fundraising tune into the podcastathon on september the 16th be a part of this let's cure childhood cancer together